This is the Manchester Football Social Legend Review. This is Excess Manchester and this is the Manchester Football Social, your place to have your say on your team. All the football covered from inside the M60 and a little bit outside it as well. I'm Jim and we've got two legends in the studio this evening, as always, stretching their legs during the international break. We've got Manchester City's Gary Owen and we've got Manchester United's Mickey Thomas. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I have been watching a bit of sports. Have you? Yeah, not just the football. What have you gone for? I went for? to watch the Bowls? rugby. I went to watch the rugby. The yeah, League Cup Yeah, yeah Warrington against Wigan, although I'm a St. Helens fan, sat right amongst the Warrington fans. Great game of rugby. It was not for the faint-hearted, and when you see some of the challenges that go in there, mm. you have to question some of the challenges that footballers have and lie down, run about when those rugby lads get stuck in like they do and they just get up as though nothing's happened. Did you enjoy the half-time entertainment from Stockport's very own Blossoms, who were playing in the centre of the pitch? No, I missed it. We were, let's <laughs> just free, say, we was in, in, a, we was in a venue that had no windows. <laughs> in the bars, right, okay. yeah, you were. And it wasn't a prison, by the way. I'd like to talk to you a, bit, a little bit more about that in a minute, actually, because we'll talk about atmosphere in <clears> stadiums, because I went to Borussia Dortmund this weekend, just gone, and enjoyed the atmosphere there and thought there's some really big learns that football in this country can learn from Germany. So we might talk about that a little bit later. But it is the international break. England are in action tonight and doing what they do best as well. And that's playing some very boring, some very uneventful football matches. A 0-0 draw against a uh, weakened Croatia side in the unfathomable Nations League was very disappointing. It just seemed that England lacked a little bit of creativity. I called it as well, you know, on Friday night, didn't I? I called it on Friday night. I said when when Danny was doing the show on Friday yeah. and he just said, what do you think? I said, well, it'll be nil-nil. Is that what we said? Yeah, mm-hmm. actually did, yeah, um, it, it just didn't seem to be much happening. No spark in midfield. So my question this evening, if you want to get in touch, on 87711 or 0345-117625, is who makes up your midfield three for the three Lions at the moment? We're assuming you've got a 4-3-3, Sterling, Rashford, Kane at the front. So who's the three that drops in behind them? Who provides your mix of protection and creativity to drive England forward? Because it doesn't seem like Gareth Southgate can pick the right three at the moment, so maybe you can. 87711 is the text number. 0345 one seventy six twenty five is the phone number if you want to get in touch. We'll talk about that very soon. But first, you'd think with it being the international break, we'd give Jose Mourinho a bit of a rest, wouldn't you? But we're not going to. Much to the disappointment of Mickey Thomas, we're not going to lay off Jose for today's show. Because I want to know... If Jose is going to go, which in my opinion is inevitable, but it might not happen, who should replace him? Ancelotti, Pochettino, Zinazan, Zidane, loads of names being mentioned over the last few weeks, but none of them seem to be quite the right man. And there was an article I read this weekend from a sports journalist called Amy Christophers, who was going to come on the show, and she had to drop out at the last moment. But she said that Zinazan Zidane, who is the favourite, wouldn't be the right person to do that job. The millions that he'd want to spend in his squad to fix it the Glazers might not want to support, and so Zizi could not be the right choice. Her call for the job was Eddie Howe, which I thought was a really interesting call. So I want to know what you boys think. And you at home, 0345 is the number. Who do you think should replace Jose Mourinho at Manchester United if he were to go? I'll let Mickey think about this for a moment so he can think of his political answer. But first, Gary, who do no you way. think? Yeah, listen, United, you've got to have somebody of... You've got to have somebody that's been there, done it. And I know mostly those people have been sacked from elsewhere, but you've got to have somebody (laughs) 
who who knows what's expected at uh, Old Trafford. David mm. Moyes is, is a very good manager. In some quarters, you'd say that he wasn't given enough time there. He was in and out <clears> within the season. I think at United or any big club, Liverpool, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, any big club now, you've got to have somebody that, that A, can withstand that pressure. B, those players that he's bringing in there have to look up to him. I've got to think, hang on a minute, you know, what he's telling me, I know that it's very difficult to bring in somebody. And no disrespect to Eddie Howe, he's doing a great job at Bournemouth. I mean, you say being there and done that, he's had 450 games as a manager now, which is nope. incredible for a 40-year-old, but just not at the right level yeah, for you. Yeah, no, and you look... Zidane speaks to you and you listen because he's been there, he's done it, he's won it. It is, it is different. I'm not saying you have to have done it, in two, but I think you command more respect. I think Eddie Howe would find it very difficult, as he did went to Burnley. Mm. OK, you can argue the point at Burnley. He wasn't maybe given enough money to go out and be able to compete. Uh, Bournemouth seems to be his, uh, his, his comfortable there. They know him, he knows them. The expectations, apart from getting relegated, are very little, apart from do well. Mm. Um, and I would imagine, after a few more years in the Premier League, he will be given a chance. I'm not quite sure the Manchester United's or the Liverpool's or the City's, the, the big, big end of the, the, the club, uh, the, uh, the league, but he will go a bit higher than what well, I think Bournemouth is, ones that can challenge that top four. Reading but, through this article, let me just say yeah. this, because reading through the article, and I'll, I'll, I'll try and do it justice, it was suggesting that the reason that Eddie Howe has put forward the right choice is he has that experience, albeit in the lower leagues. He might not really have the experience of bringing in these players, but at the same time, United are a club that probably need to modernise a little bit with a director of football to look after that stuff. The thing that I thought interesting about it, apart from Bournemouth currently being three points places above Manchester United in the league, is that he seems to be in the mould of Alex Ferguson. In terms of his demeanour and the way he handles himself, he has a quiet respect towards the media and his players, and that seems to fit with what United want. Well, I Mickey Schmidt, you're you shaking your head, Mickey. You, I, I don't want to discuss a manager when someone's already installed as a manager in Manchester United, but what I will say is about Eddie Howe, um, you know, guys, we play football uh, at the highest level. At that lower level, there's no pressure. And you say touting to be the manager mm. of Manchester United, never going to happen. Not an experienced manager, not a guy that's played in massive, well, controlled a massive uh, mm -hmm. team in full of big competition games. I don't think he's played it. Where's, where's he been? He's not got anywhere, has he? Has he ever won a semi-final? Has he ever won a, a qualifier? I don't, I don't know. Where, where have they been? I All right, so, so hypothetically, if you don't want to talk about Manchester United, Mickey, you're currently the chairman of a brand new football club. We'll call them Manchester City United. I wouldn't They're... have him installed as a manager. No. <laughs> Who would you have as your manager in this hypothetical football club? With big players, big money players, 50,000-seater stadium, who do you want? Someone that, that can win trophies. I don't know where they are. Listen, so. the ones that stand out, you would go for somebody like uh, Guardioli, good for yeah. somebody like yeah. Mourinho, yeah, the, the, even though he's having... Let's forget what's happening at United. Mm. Mourinho would have been... Because well, you only Mourinho, go where he's though. managed. All right, leave him out of it for the time being. Uh, Ancelotti. Yeah, so, yeah. Yep. Ancelotti yeah. Uh, Pochettino, easy for Pochettino, me to say. Yeah. Yeah, because he plays a brand of football. Okay, they've never got over that line. Would you blame that on him or would you blame it on the players? Probably a mixture. But he he has got that fire in his belly, and I think he would respect. I think you've got when you the top clubs with those sort of players. Now you've got to gain their respect, and their respect has to come from either what you've done playing, and even more so what you've done managing, because you've been there, you've seen it, you know what it's about, and. Really, to tell somebody who's earning this sort of money now and playing at the top of the game, and you know, whether you think that the, 
one of the best players in the world or country or whatever, you've really got to be able to stand up to them and just say, this is how it is. Mm. I'm the boss. And that only comes from the experience of I playing so. or managing. I, mean, I think so. Someone like Zidane hasn't got that massive experience as a manager, no. but he obviously commands but that Thierry Henry, the sorry, But Thierry Henry now is, he's gone to Monaco. Yep. He'll command respect straight away because the player he was. Mm. And he's also been to the World Cup with, with Belgium. So he knows he's he's been working with these top players. You know, So I'd, listen, now I'd imagine... I'd imagine whoever it is, Manchester United, it'll have to be somebody with some sort of stature because I think supporters won't accept anything less. 0345 111 is the phone number. That's 0345 111 If you want to get in touch and have your say, who should, hypothetically, replace Jose Mourinho? Should he get the boot over the next few weeks? Two games against Juventus, one against Chelsea coming up. It's a tough few weeks for Jose at Manchester United. Stuart's on the phone. Evening, Stuart. Hello, Stuart. Hello, hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Who do you think should replace Jose Mourinho at Manchester United, Stuart? Um, so I think Zidane is the only viable option for them. Um, I think the key to getting success out of United is to keep Pogba happy, and I think somebody like Zidane with his stats in the I think we've lost Stuart. Maybe we'll kind of try and get Stuart back <coughs> yeah, in just a second. But it's an interesting point he makes there about Zinners and Zidane he won't come. being the man. Why wouldn't Zidane come I to United? No. Surely that's the job that... I mean, if you're going from Real Madrid to somewhere and all the ribbing and the poking I give Manchester United, they are the biggest club Yeah, I think he's he's more a continental manager than an English... Uh, listen, what he's done in, in Real Madrid is fantastic, but all his football has been played European, all his experience has been European in in the French and the uh, and the Spanish leagues and it's you know to come to England is, is a different is a different ball game altogether and I would be very surprised if Zidane came not just to United but to England uh, there's other people who were probably more um, more equipped because they know it inside out than what Zidane because you'd have to learn it it is a different ball game coming mm. here trust me let's try and get Stuart back evening Stuart uh, you're right, sorry, I don't oh, know. There we go, much better, we've got you. Why are you plumping for uh, Zizi? I, I just think he's, you know, I think the respects that he would get from somebody like Pogba, who I think is, you know, a problem player at United, I think if they get a tune out of him, they'll probably do all right. And I think, um, you know, a fellow countryman, a legend for, for France, and probably idolised him as a kid, and I think he would... You'll get that respect from the dressing room that other managers like Hal wouldn't get because they've not been at the very top. Does it seem weird, weird to you that a team like United, and you talk about Pogba being a problem player who will only respond to certain managers, does it seem strange to you, I can tell you you're not a United fan, that that, that kind of player is not just tolerated, but from what you're saying, going to be pandered to at United, that they have to find a manager that will work with this player rather than players that will work with a manager? Perhaps. I, I just think the way United are running at the moment, they, they seem to be wanting the marquee players rather than getting a, a team that works. And if you get the marquee players without wanting them, you know, do you want to sell shirts more than play well? Yeah. Um I think, I think you have to keep the likes of Pogba and Sanchez as well, who's not performing for United. You know, they need somebody who can tell them, well, I'm better than you. So, um, to, you know, to give them that kick up the backside. What do you do for a living, Stuart, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, I'm a care worker at the moment, uh, working a kid's home. 
So, if you're at work every day and a new manager comes in to look after your business, who do you respond better to? This guy who was a care worker for 10 years, he was the best of the best in terms of care workers. He bought through some of the best care workers that you've ever worked with and has an excellent care working training programme. Or someone who is an excellent man manager, can talk to you on a personal level, may not have done it at the top level of care working, but can certainly has a talent and a flair that you could recognise. Who do you think would get the best tune out of you in that scenario? That's a, that's a difficult question. Um, I, 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 would like, I wouldn't want to know from the experiences of, of the top, uh, but I think both would be good options. Um, I personally might respond differently to someone like, you know, an egotistical football player. Um, <laughs> but I... Um, I think both would get a response from certain players. Mm. Um, I think if maybe United had a director of football in charge ahead of you know the manager to bring in the players who would do that, that might get someone like Howe in because uh, then they can work more around you know developing the side rather than just bringing you know faces to play the game. Top man, Stuart. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate that. All right. Thank you very much. 0345 If you want to get involved, Dan in Stockport sent a message and says it has to, it has to be Giggsy. What do we think? Is Ryan Giggs a man? I mean, is it his time yet to replace anyone at Manchester United to take that top-level job? Does he need to have a little I'd, bit more experience I would say beforehand? No. I would say no, because he's on his first job in football and it's... Uh, it's it's a national team. It's not day-to-day. So he's got to learn. He, he listens to a fabulous footballer. And uh, there's no denying that, but being a manager is two different things. It doesn't mean because you're a good footballer makes you a good manager. There's a lot of things, especially in this day and age now. Not only it was 10, 15 years ago, but now there's much more expected from a manager than just coaching the team and picking the team and being with them on Saturday. There's a lot more that goes with it, and you have to learn that. You have to learn that trade. Mickey, what about from Ryan Giggs's point of view? Would you like to see him back at the club, maybe in a number two position, if not a number one, to maybe eventually take up that mantle? Jim, until there's some vacancies at Old Trafford, then I'll make a statement on that one. <laughs> yeah, but Carrick's there. I mean, Carrick's yes, is, is, is number two as good, hasn't he? So, and they've, they've brought one from the... Uh, Mickey's right on that fence. The splinters are... I can almost feel the splinters going in. <laughs> can see him coming out for his eyes. Yeah, but I have to say, though, on, on Ryan, uh, he had an opportunity, uh, and he did OK when he, he got right. in. Uh, unfortunately, Jim, that... Um, didn't happen for him to get... The, the he was job. never going to so, get the job on a, on a permanent basis. No, I mean, it's a huge job, Jim. You said at the start of this show, you know, about um, the, the Bournemouth manager. How I mean, yeah. there's no way he would be considered, you know, because he, he might as well consider me and Gary Owen, because we know the experience <laughs> he's got. The good news is that we have good team spirit. That, well, you know, I know they're in the Premier League, <laughs> they survive in the Premier League, don't get me wrong, they get some great results, but... You know, Jim, and Gary knows as much as me, is that when you go to Old Trafford, look at Van Gaal, look at David Moyes, the pressure is immense. There's no ordinary job, but it's no ordinary job. There's no more experience than Van Gaal. No. no. I mean, it's tough. Uh, by going to United, has, has put a black mark on his CV, because before then, he was successful everywhere he's been. It's a difficult job, and you've got to say, it's Manchester tough. United, on the face of it, have played their cards pretty well over the last five years. You would have thought David Moyes looked like a decent appointment. He looked mm. like the future. Passaging. Van Gaal has the experience. Mourinho has the pedigree. You have to deliver. And that there's something about that job that makes it more difficult than any trophies. other job in football at the moment. You're winning trophies, it's fine. You have to expect Well, to be fair, Van Gaal won trophies, didn't he? Yeah. So did uh, Mourinho, but it's not the trophies that United won. Tony's yeah. just sent in a text, says Ronald Koeman as a potential candidate for the manager's job. 
He Jim, won't stand no Jim, keep off the wine. <laughs> right, if you want to get in touch... All the merrier for me. Keep them all coming in like conveyor belt. 87711 on the text. 03451761625 is the number. We'll get on to England now, a topic that Mickey Thomas can comment on, should he wish. So oh, we'll uh, about, he'll have, on, oh, he'll have a few comments on this, don't worry about we'll that. We'll talk about England's midfield three. Oh. Who do you think should play in that centre spot for England? Because it seems to be a bit of a problem. But before I ask you that, let me put a little teaser to you over the break. I'll give you the answer in a moment. England versus Croatia on Friday was played behind closed doors. I want to know who the opposition was last time England played a game behind closed doors. This is the Manchester Football Social Legend Review. This is Excess Manchester's Football Social Red and Blues. Welcome 0345 is the phone number. If you want to get in touch, we've been talking about who could, who should replace Jose Mourinho at Old Trafford. We're also about to talk about England and their game tonight against Spain and their game last weekend versus Croatia. And I asked you a question. When was the last time England played a game behind closed doors? Blank faces from Mickey Thomas and Gary Owen who are in the studio. The answer is never. 988 senior internationals stretching back to 1872 and there has never been a single game behind closed doors until this one against Croatia on Friday. That's quite some stats. Before we get on to England, though, and the troubles in midfield, who should be that midfield three, we're going to go back to the issue of Jose Mourinho and back to the phones as well. Because we've got a caller at the ready. His name's Liam, and he should be there. Hello, Liam. Who should replace Jose Mourinho then, mate? Who are you saying should be uh, the boss at Old Trafford? Uh, I think that Laurent Blanc has been overlooked uh, quite a lot by a lot of, well, not just um, United fans, but fans of other clubs. I think that he's got a good record wherever he's been, definitely as a player and as a manager. And I think that he's not really brought up in conversation much, which I'm not too sure why that's the case. And a man with former history at Old Trafford as well. He could be a good shout, Gary. Absolutely, of course he could, because he knows what's expected at United. He was a player there. He's played, for the, I think he's been a World Cup winner, he's captained, so everything's there, you'd expect. But when you look at managers being, being linked with other clubs, when mm. people... He seems to have gone off the face of the earth. He was at PSG, and then now you don't even see him now. He's not currently got a gig, has he? No, I don't think so. Liam, do you know? Uh, no, I think that he kind of, he's just kind of gone off the radar. I yeah. don't think he's really like a, you know, he, he lost his job at PSG and, you know, not delivering in the Champions League, but no other managers at PSG have been able to do that either. And he's just kind of been off the scene ever since then. Great shout. Cheers, Liam. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. Right. Good shout, that. I, I think understand I that. Listen, I understand because he's, you know, he's managed, has he managed France as well for a short time? Yeah. Yeah, so he's, you know, got, he's got the experience and he's played the highest level and he knows United, which is more important. Managed big name players I, at PSG. Knows, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important that you actually know what's expected when you go to that, to a football club. It's not just go in there and then try and make your own history. You've got to know what the history's been there before and you've got, and listen, under this Alex Ferguson reign, you're never going to match it. Nobody's going to match that, what he did. It was unbelievable. But mm. you've got to know what, is certainly expected. You've got to be challenging for the league each year. You've got to be winning something or being close to winning something. But you can't, even for the even the owners, for the shareholders, you've got to keep United right to the, the, the front of the pecking order because that's, where, that's what gets all the sponsorship and everything else. Let's talk about England because they are in action tonight. They're playing Spain against one of the greatest teams on the planet in this ridiculous Nations League that no one quite understands 
what's going on with it. They played Croatia on Friday and the atmosphere was pretty much as flat as the performance on Friday as well. The issue seemed to stem from midfield, I think, on Friday, that there wasn't really the creative spark that the team needs to go out there and attack other teams and create the goals and the excitement that we all want to see. So what is the problem with the midfield three and who should be playing in that midfield three? 0345 treble one seventy six twenty five. Give us a call. Have your say. You can text in as well. Eight double seven double one is the text number. So on Friday, Henderson, Dyer, and Barkley playing in the middle. What's wrong with that? Well, you just said it in the snap. I mean, uh, for me, um, Dyer not a most gifted footballer. You know, big, strong, physical. Uh, puts himself about. I don't think he's got any finesse about him. Uh, Henderson. Again, he'll do a job for you, work his socks off, but not in the midfield place. I mean, Gary, you you were a creative midfield player. They haven't got that style of play, have they? I think I think in the modern day, like most teams, most teams do. I can understand a holding midfield player because if somebody breaks out from the back, because they're all trying to play out from the back now. Mm. So when somebody comes out with that ball, then the the holding midfield player normally sits in there or, or protects it if if it breaks down. Uh, but you don't need two of them, and we had two in that game. Um, you know, if as she's looking for um, uh, for the manager to bring in young players, then Madison has got to be given a chance. He probably may be given a chance this evening. I mean, he's 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 fit into the Premier League like a duck to water yeah. coming from Norwich. So, and and he's been impressive playing there. Young Harry Winks, you know, he's had his injuries, but a talented player. If you're going to go with young players, you yeah. want to see what they can do. Now's the time to do it. Does it feel like there's a slight lack of talent in that English side to have that creative spark? And so you end up with people like Henderson and Dyer playing in there. Because you look at the potential players, you've got Jesse Lingard, Deli Alley, Henderson, obviously we've mentioned, you've got Adam Lallana, Jack Wilshire, I suppose you'd have to say is on the very fringes on that. Fabian Delph, you might consider. Oxford Chamberlain's injured at the moment, but he'd be in the mix somewhere. But it doesn't seem to be, we haven't got that, we haven't got anyone that you'd hold up to the likes of Iniesta and go, this is There's our creative like spark. Listen, forget that and, and Javi, they come round once in a lifetime, those sort of players, and luckily Barcelona are both. Um, but I think young young Madison has, has played well for Leicester, playing with better players, playing at a different level. I don't mm. think he would phase him. Uh, Winks, is, as I said, has had his injuries, but he's certainly a footballer. He knows how to pass a ball. If you're going to give these guys a chance, we'll do it. But all the ones that seem to have a little bit of creativity are young. But What's the, the one from Chelsea? What's, on the the What's his name? The yeah, um, no, no, no. Um, the number eight. Uh, Mount, is it Mount? Yeah, yeah Mount. Mount. I think yeah. it's number eight, yeah. 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 I like him, I like yeah. him. I Played well against United. Yeah. Didn't look out Didn't look out of his comfort zone no, at Old Trafford. Why not? Don't, give him a chance if that's what you do. Well, well, happy We're struggling for players, but... Give them an opportunity. Why not? Because the present England team that showed, you know, in that World Cup, yeah, they got a fair distance, but they're very fortunate how they got there. Mm. I think, you know, they were lucky when they played two off-season teams that got beat. So give the youngsters opportunity. You guys have played the game though, and you've been on the pitch. Do you think there's sometimes too much emphasis on youth? Because I think England have been at this stage probably since 2006, where we've always been looking to the next tournament. Four years' time, four years' time. Let's get the new players in and we'll focus on four years' time. Yet there's never been a period where we've had a good mix of youth and experience together in that team. So is there 96 was probably about, for England, 96 was probably about the the best youth and experience. And look what happened then. It was a great tournament and a great result. But I think you've got to... You've got to blood these guys and, and, and give them a chance, not put them in one week, uh, one game and they're not playing again mm. for two years and 
You know what I mean? You've got to you've got to say, right, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're aiming for. These are the players. Let's work with these players and hope they get enough time at the club size that they can progress with the club size. And then when England comes, they get an experience at at club level to be able to take into into international level. So you pick your midfield three now. Might be three young players and you stick with it. Game well, after game Well, you're never going to pick game. three, are you, Mickey? But you're going to be picking five or six. You've got to have some experience in there as well. And, you know, and it may well be that some of these experienced players will bring bring the other ones on. And But to have two holding midfield players in a game of any time when when you're trying to progress this England side from what we've seen in in recent years, for me, that's a step backwards if you're playing Dyer and Henderson in the same team. Got a text here from Danny J. 87711 if you want to text in, by the way. This is what I love about England fans is the eternal pessimism. He says, my midfield three... Gascoigne, Platt and Robson. Not back then, but today. Miles better at 50 <laughs> years of age than any of the lot that played the other night. Somebody <laughs> said to Dennis Law, didn't they? Uh, who's, I mean, what, what a fantastic player and an even better man. Said to Dennis Law, said, do you think your team would be the United team now? Mm. He said, yeah, we'd probably just shade it 1-0. He said, only 1-0. He said, yeah, but you've got to take him to camp. We're all over 70. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go to the phones. We've got Nick waiting for us. Hi, Nick. How you doing? Hi, mate, you're right. Very good. You're in the UAE at the moment. What's the weather like out there? Make it, it's really cold in Manchester. The last few days it's turned really cold, so really make cold. us jealous. It's lovely. It's about 32 degrees right oh. now. So, yeah, that's no, really, really nice. So, Beautiful. Uh, yeah, can't complain, put it that way. Beautiful. Well, that's who would right. you fancy for England then? That midfield three that seems elusive to Gareth Southgate, who are you putting in those positions? Uh, well, my main one would be Madison, um, and a very, very simple reason. First of all, I am biased. I'm a Leicester fan. So, um, but I watched it the other day, and you just mentioned there about having uh, the two holding midfielders, Henderson and Dyer. Um, personally, I didn't think Barkley worked. Now, with Madison, Madison has played with uh, Mendy and Ndidi all season for Leicester as two defence midfielders, and he has operated brilliantly in front of those kind of two defence midfielders. Mm. Uh, and I just feel that he is a perfect link-up between that level and the forward line. Uh, a lot of the issues we had on Friday night in Croatia was Kane was forever coming back to try and get the ball, uh, basically doing the job that Barkley should have done. Uh, for Leicester... The last few weeks, obviously, because Vardy didn't play much at the beginning of the season, uh, it's been a case where Madison has been that link and has been able to supply the front three, Vardy and Glover's got either side of him. And I just feel that he is uh, a much more creative and much more on-form player uh, than Barkley has been. And his stats this season, he's got more goals, he's made more assists, uh, he's he's made more chances. I think he's got more chances than any other Englishman in the Premier League. He's been fouled more player times than any player in the Premier League. So he's he's obviously causing defenders a huge number of issues. And although yes, he is very very young, I just kind of think that going back to Barclay. I mean, he was England squad two three years ago. I mean, what he hasn't done anything two three years. So why are we going back? When we should He's be just going to uh, yeah, find yeah. his feet at Chelsea. He, he, that was standing in the last game for Chelsea by all accounts. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, he, he was, but he was outstanding. But he was outstanding. He scored a goal and he assisted at Southampton. I mean, he has played a, th a third of what Madison has played this season in minutes. He's got one goal to Madison's three. He's got one assist to Madison's two. Uh, yeah, I mean, fair enough. He played very well, but I mean, he hasn't done much else this season at Chelsea. He Listen, I'll tell you your point, and I'll tell you your point, and, and as I was just saying before, before he came on, is that Madison's not playing in the Chelsea side, he's playing in the Leicester side. <laughs> Chelsea at the top of the league, Leicester's not the top of the league, so, you know, Barkley's playing with better players around him, so mm. we play better players, it certainly encourages you to play better, but 
Madison. I think everybody I've heard speaking about him says that he has, you know, he's got great confidence in his own ability, showed it at Norwich. Now he's gone to Leicester and he's, he's yeah. hit the ground running. He's, he's playing well for them. But just because he doesn't play for a top six club doesn't exclude him. I no, don't does think. I mean, uh, I and mean, this is exactly what Southgate said. Playing, it's what he oh, South yes, yeah, said I mean, when he came in. He said he'd pick players on form. He wouldn't pick them depending on what club they're at or on reputation. And I don't think we've really seen that from Southgate yet. He has picked players on reputation. Agreed. Agreed. And I think, uh, as I said at the beginning of my phone call, I mean, I'm biased. I'm a Leicester fan. And I, I did kind of think, oh, why are you picking Barkley? Um, and I, I did wonder whether that is kind of going back to uh, a kind of the, the big sixism as, as, as such, which, mm. I, which I dislike immensely. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, he's he's my kind of main attacking guy. Uh, regards the other two, I don't really know to be honest. I'm, I'm not a massive fan of Henderson, nor nor Dyer particularly. Uh, but but we do need someone in front of the back four. Um, but yeah, I'll, I'll leave that to Gareth. But I'm I'm very much pro pro James Madison for now. Yeah, good. You know, good, shout. good point. Good shout. Cheers, Nick. Thank you very much. Appreciate the call. Thanks <laughs> for coming on. Uh, we've got a text from Chris Archer on eight double seven double one who says if you're picking players purely on form, you've got to have Madison in there. Yeah. Henderson and Loftus-Cheek would be his three. So you've got the one defensive midfield. We had Nick there talking about you've got Madison able to play with two defensive midfields, but actually, do you need two against no. a team like Croatia? No, don't you need two against anybody. What about Spain tonight? I mean, if you play five out-and-out attacking players against Spain, they're just going to take you to bits. So yeah, there is a, tell you a place you play with two only midfield players, what you're going to be doing is defending all the time. You're probably going to have to be defending anyway, but if you do get the ball, the idea is to get out your own half and try and score. Mm. And you're not going to do that with two holding midfield players. So, f for me, you have to take it on the chin and go there and, and take them on. Obviously, with with you've got to look at your defensive side of the game because if you just go and go against them, they're, they're going to come and, and, and beat you. But you've got to try and go out there and compete. Mm. You've got to go out there and try and score. You've got to go out there and try and win the game. Two holding midfield players says to them straight away, mm, we're settling to try and get you on a breakaway or a set play. It's never going to be an exciting happen. game, you. is it, with two never. at the back or two defending there. We're going to speak to an actual England World Cup player in a little bit. We'll get to that very shortly. But before we do, England versus Spain is tonight and there's been some... The the the, the most, or well, the least dramatic way to describe it would be unsavoury scenes before the ground. You wanted to mention the England fans' behaviour oh, before this Nations League match, Gary. Uh, yeah, because it's, it's diabolical. They've gone to a beautiful place, Sevilla, which is, I mean, it's very peaceful and what a beautiful part of the world Sevilla is. And guess what? The only thing we see is drunken lobs and mm. slobs, that whatever you want to call them, who are, who are kicking off mirrors on parked vehicles, throwing glasses at cars going past, only because of alcohol. Isn't it strange? Isn't it strange? There weren't too much of that going on in Russia because they knew what the consequences was going to be in Russia. There was three arrests when they was in Russia. I don't think they've even come back yet. And you, So it's an exception rather than a new normality, what's happening. But you know something, every time England fans go away from home, you have this problem. And I'm not just getting on the bandwagon, it's happened so many times. Listen, guys, if you want to have a drink and you can't take your drink, don't go or don't drink. It's a weird scenario, though, isn't it? Because you mentioned the Challenge Cup final that you were at at the weekend. Yeah. That's a event where the people that go, they love to have a little drink. Yeah. But yet you don't see the same kind of issues even slightly, do you? Well, I'm sorry, I'm going to just kill you on this one because I was in... Um, in the international suite at Old Trafford, actually, uh, behind the Stratford end. and you the skies? <laughs> no, I didn't, because it's a rugby fan, so, well, I should have been, because I'm an Italian fan, but normally there's no problem. But some of the Warrington fans are enjoying themselves for the game in in a hospitality suite, singing and swearing a little bit, which was a bit, a bit untowards. There was, there was some kids in there. But anyway, they enjoying themselves as much as they could. No, no, either. Then, when Wigan scored, 
just for half time in the, as we just got back in then they took umbrage to go over to the Wigan fans to berate with them and threaten them which which is completely out of order mm. if you're going to sing for your team are you going to I mean the idea you surely can champ for your not champ but you can you can say well done to your own team it was a mixed it was a mixed lounge anyway in rugby that's the exception rather it than is the oh absolutely that, it surprised me and in, in right in the Warrington section at the Stratford end there was Wigan fans in there, no mind at all, just just getting on with it. I have to say, back on the football topic, um, I did go to Germany the other week. I went to see Borussia Dortmund play, which is one of the greatest atmospheres Brilliant. I've ever seen in a football stadium. Yes. It was so much that England and English fans could learn from the Germans. Not just the way the stadiums are managed, not just the safe standing as well, but in the way the fans handle themselves. So there is lots of drinking. Before the game, from the second you get off the train, you go to bars, you go to cafes, you sit down with fellow fans, you have a drink, you talk, you chat. In the stadium, you're having a drink, you're watching the game and you can go to the bar at any time. Not a second of trouble, not an ounce of trouble through the entire stadium. So there's something wrong with the way culturally... Well, maybe they drink, they've been drinking this. before and, and, and obviously in the game, maybe the intoxicated didn't know what the game's about. <laughs> They're quite content to sit there and, oh, it's all right, this game. Sometimes <laughs> helps that when you watch watching Yeah, I don't, Jim, you're right, but Dortmund is an exception, isn't it? Well, I think, well and I think in Germany. I mean, yeah. German it? fans, when they come to, to play us in Europe, yeah. they are, they come for it and they are non-stop chanting for their team. Here's one of the things I think the reason that was very good as well. you don't get the reaction to the drink that maybe you get with England fans is because you don't get that thing. And England fans are, English fans, I should say, are terrible for this. You know yeah. there's no drinking in the stadium. You know that for two and a half hours, you're not going to be able to get a beer. You might get one at half time if you're lucky. So you go to the pub and you drink four pints as quick as you possibly can before you go to the game. And I think that causes more problems than banning well, drink in the stadium. Does. I'll tell you what, why don't they just find a pub Sit in there for 90 minutes and not have to get four pints down as quickly as lightning and watch it on the telly. Very true, Gary. Very true. This is the Manchester Football Social Legend Review. I really wish that Nick had mentioned that it was busy through Presswich. I don't think you can say that enough. This is the Manchester Football Social. I'm Jim. We've got Gary Owen here. We've got Mickey Thomas here as well. And we're taking your calls on 0345 7625. That is the phone number. But did you know there are just 10 days to go until the World Cup 2018? That is the Amputee World Cup. It's happening in San Juan de los Alagas. And hopefully, England, I know, I know. So I like to speak like a local, don't I? And hopefully, England are going to have a team there. I say hopefully because currently there's a question of doubt over whether England will get a team to the World Cup and be one of the big nations in the big tournament because there are big sponsorship issues and big fundraising issues at the moment. And to tell us more, we've got an England player on the phone for us, Michael Chambers. Evening, Michael. Hi, are you okay? Very good, my friend. Thank you very much for coming on. So, tell me first before we get into this. Where, what position do you play? What's your position on the pitch? Uh, I'm normally like the number 10 player now, so I get on the ball in the final third and just try and make things happen, try and create things for the strikers and try and pick things up on the end of the box and just try and get the ball in the back of the net as, uh, as often as possible, really. So, yeah, made a creative midfield player, number 10 role, just try and uh, hopefully get the goals that we need to go and get World Cup success. The linchpin, as we like to call you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, long, um, how long is a tournament for? Um, it's on for roughly around two weeks. So, you play um, for England, are you? Probably a week. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a notice. That's a Welshman coming at you. Uh, well, do you know what the, the difference is with the England Amputees football team is whereas the England team would be back within a week, the Amputees football team, if you can get to the tournament, you'd actually be one of the favourites, wouldn't you? 
Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've done really well in the build-up um, to the World Cup. Last year, we were in the European Championships over in Turkey, and uh, we ended up losing to Turkey in the final at the Shittasis Football Stadium at the Vodafone Park in front of 42,000 people. And it was one of the most surreal games of football I've ever been involved in. It was unbelievable. So what's the issue with potentially going? Mm. Why might you not be able to go to the World Cup? Uh, it's just it's just the fundraising, the funding that we struggle to get. I mean, we struggle to get the uh, the the profile, the awareness um, out into into, like, into the public, and the uh, FA don't particularly back us very much. Um, considering we're probably, I think, from last time I saw, we were the highest disability football team that the FA sort of like support. Yet we get the, the minimal support from the, from the FA as opposed to different disability teams that get things thrown at them. Really, um, it's just struggling to to get that final support that we really desperately need, especially when we're competing against different nations who, who play the sport full-time professionally, such as Turkey and Russia. They're the top team guy in the world, and they, them guys get paid to do this as a professional job, where we guys go and do our own jobs, our family life, and then we go and do fundraisers, family and shopping centres for best part of seven, eight hours a, a day, then we go and do our training, and it sort of puts your life on hold, but you play for your country, so you do it, and you know that you're very lucky to do so. Am I right in saying that the FA currently fully fund partially sighted football, power chair football, cerebral palsy football, blind football, deaf football, yeah. uh, but they just don't support the amputee team? So why no. don't they support the amputee team? They used to. They used to when I first started around 10, 15 years ago when I first got involved with the young team. Um, as a young man, I sort of kept out of all that. I just wanted to concentrate on playing football. But yeah, over the years, I think it's mainly because maybe the governing body for World Amputee Football isn't quite what it should be. It's not to scratch. Maybe that's why Amputee Football doesn't quite get the Paralympic status that it really needs um, desperately. And um, UEFA are, are very much involved now with Amputee Football. They do a hell of a lot for us, um, as, a, as like every all the other nations that are going around. But the yeah, FA, for some reason, I think they maybe maybe they're just a bit. Unsure whether they want to put the money in, whether they want to they want to do all this, and they need sort of clarification off the pitch before they start putting money in to help us on the pitch. Really. How much? So, how much are you needing to raise, and how long have you got before you head off to play this World Cup? Well, we go next Tuesday, so um, we fly out uh, a week tomorrow. Um, each player has been given a target of uh, fifteen hundred players, and it's in account, and that includes the staff as well. So I think along the team, I think it costs ten thousand pounds for the team to enter the tournament itself, and then you've got like the flights and, and all the other things that come with it. So thinking total, you're talking around twenty to thirty thousand pounds just to just to get out there. That's before you even kick a football. And where are you up to now? With a week to go. Uh, me personally, I've managed to raise my, my target. Um, I think a lot of the lads have managed to raise raise a target. I think maybe a few more are waiting to get some money in from elsewhere. I think there's other things that are planned fundraising-wise. Uh, so we couldn't even come home World Cup champions, but still have to go and do these fundraisers afterwards just to try and make up the numbers. So where can people go if they want to lend a hand? Where can they go to help out and put some cash behind you? Um, well, the, the beauty now about social media, we've got the Facebook and Twitter, uh, the United Football Association, we've got a website, which is afa.co.uk, and if people would love to donate and, and help us out, that'll be super. If we come over and make the country proud, and that'll be an unbelievable achievement. But yeah, if they want to help out, every penny helps, every, every little bit of uh, getting the word out there on social media, just follow the you know, England United Football team on, uh, on Facebook, on Twitter. Just keep looking out for the results, because who knows, in the best part of three weeks' time, there could be uh, uh, an England world champion.